This is Giant. I got your visual. Come in, Mike. I'm standing by for you. Roger. I'll be there in a couple of mics. In the meantime, get them out. You are listening to the Men Among Men Stories podcast, episode 14 with myself, Hank, and Bindu. Eh? On the horizon, there's bloody storm clouds brewing, and the smell in the air is the smell of mistrust and fear. And they're gathering the young men and women to use them as fodder, for the men who think up these wars will never come here. In the cities and farms, the mothers are openly weeping the lives of their children the government sends off to war. But the children know better because they have their band of brothers. And war doesn't matter for them, they fight for more. Oh, down by the river there's just the sound of the water. And over the hill is the thunder and crashing of war. And the souls of the fallen are leaving and rising to heaven. They will be needing to fighting their brethren no more. If you hear this song, well, it might make you wonder how I could extol the virtues of a man with a gun. Duty will make a man stand in the face of great peril when he thinks of those that he loves and he just wants to run. So here's to the man who knows when to lay down his weapon. And here's to the men who know when it's time to fight. Here's to the man who'll stay behind with his brother. Here's to the man who knows the best way to die. Here's to the man who will stay behind with his brother. Here's to the man who knows the best way to die. What you just heard there were lyrics from a song that was featured in a play called Contact Unload, put on by an organization called the Veteran Transition Network. It's a Canadian veterans organization that helps first responders, military, law enforcement personnel, in Canada deal with combat-related stresses. So there could be emotional problems, personal relationship problems, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, whatever problems that manifest from particularly stressful experiences or traumatic situations. It helps them deal with these problems and conceptualize things. So it's, it's, it's an excellent play. If you haven't seen it, we do recommend you check it out. And today we will be plugging this organization with our very good friend, Mr. Larry Jenkins of 5 Battalion Rhodesia Regiment and the British South Africa Police, a Canadian volunteer in the Rhodesian Bush War. He's back! He is back, and we interviewed him last time, episode 9, if you want to know the context of how a Canadian kid from British Columbia ended up all the way fighting in the Rhodesian Bush War. That was a pretty interesting story. It's a long story. Very a, very interesting story, though. Indeed it is. So if you want to check that out, please check out episode 9 of the Men Among Men Stories podcast. We do recommend you listen to that first before jumping into this podcast. If you haven't already yeah. heard it, yeah. We will be going back into the Rhodesia in this podcast, but um, a lot of the focus will be on coming home and what that looked like for Larry. And it was many decades before he kind of realized that he had to kind of, you know, there, he, need, he needed an opportunity to open up after many decades. And it wasn't until three decades after the Rhodesian Bush War, after he had come home, that 
he kind of finally opened up about his experiences in that conflict and the veteran transition network definitely helped him with some of the personal uh, emotional problems he had that had manifested themselves during wartime so we are honored to be plugging this organization and um, honored to be uh, doing a bit of a fundraising effort for the veteran transition network as well selling a, a poster print of these uh, this poem written by Larry Jenkins during the Rhodesian Bush War entitled let this come from your pen and if you want to listen to that poem it is in the description of this podcast you can also find it on episode 9 as well we do a live reading of it at the beginning of that episode so we're honored to have Larry back. Larry, welcome back to the Men Among Men Stories podcast. <laughs> it's good uh, to have see you there. again. Pleasure to be here. I didn't have to travel far. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So um, we're here today again to, again, talk about your experiences during the Rhodesian Bush War, uh, more so to focus on your time as a member of the British South Africa Police and that transition period because you had to you are a Canadian and you had to come back to Canada at the end of that war in 81 and you you had your difficulties as as a lot of people that have experienced combat do and it wasn't until uh, 2014 when you went through a program called the veteran transitions network veteran transition network yeah it's their program right yeah that um, it was almost something of a turnaround in your life. And, and basically the purpose of this podcast is to uh, help promote that uh, specific program and for you to more or less plug it because it, it worked for you. And, it, it, yeah. um, and as, as you've mentioned to me many times, it's, it's got a very good rack, uh, track record in saving a lot of lives of dudes dealing with post-traumatic stress and all, all kinds of other combat-related trauma right, right. and issues related to that. So that's what we're doing today. We are also going to be, at the same time as we launch this podcast, also offering up signed poems uh, from Larry Jenkins. are going to be these 12 by 18, what is it, 12 by 18 prints? Is that a word for it? Posters. What do we call it? Posters? Poster prints. Poster yeah. prints. They're actually all signed by Larry, who is beside me right now. We just finished signing them, and um, they are. It 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 shows a picture of you in the background. Um, maybe we can talk about because you were in the BSAP in that point in that picture. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, it wasn't long after that picture was taken that you wrote the poem "Let This Come from Your Pen," which is what the what the poster prints are. Yeah, show. I wrote wrote that poem uh, during the. Uh, during the ceasefire, right? Okay, when when Lord Soames had uh, was governing uh, Rhodesia as southern the colony of Southern Rhodesia, uh, the elections were over. All that was left was for uh, you know, Mugabe had won the elections. Soames was there uh, to basically be part of the uh, handover official handover. So there was a lot of press there at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was up. up. My poem was basically a plea to the press to 
sort of tell the truth about things. That's right. Yeah. And um, if you want to listen to that poem, you can listen to episode nine. Episode nine, of which the, was uh, yeah, our first half of uh, Larry's story. Yes. And today you'll get to hear the second half. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we, we actually started episode nine with that poem, with the reading of that poem. So if you want to check out that poem, I think we'll actually probably put it in the description of this podcast post as well if you are listening on our website if you're listening on spotify or some other platform it's going to be on the product description or not the product description the podcast description of our website you know obviously now i work at fire force ventures so i think everything's a product in my mind i have no you know no brain cells when it comes to that anyways (laughs) uh moving on moving on so um let's let's take a step back and uh let's go Back to Rhodesia. Uh, 1975, you transitioned from your time in the National Service, which we had talked about. And again, if you want to learn more about that, check out episode 9 that we did with Larry. But in 75, you transitioned out of the Rhodesia Regiment, uh, 5th Battalion, or 5th Battalion, into um, the British South Africa Police, which was the, a, a pretty... I transferred to the A Reserve, which yeah. was... Uh, Basically, you train to be a uniform uh, police officer. You have, uh, unlike RCMP auxiliary that just basically does a ride along, I don't even think they carry a, a sidearm in the uh, auxiliary in Canada. Right. Uh, not that not that we carried sidearms in Rhodesia. The police force, uniform police force in Rhodesia, was unarmed, uh, very similar to the British model. Right. And uh, so, yeah. So I transitioned from uh, Territorial Army, which uh, I did three call-ups of six weeks in the three years that I was uh, a member of the Territorial. Transferred to the A Reserve meant I got, once I got police training at the police academy at Morris Depot in Salisbury, uh, which I had to do on my own time. Uh, like in the evenings uh, after work. Uh, then I got assigned to a police station, and I was actually, I would uh, do, do the evening shift at a police station one day a week. So I was getting to do something every week as opposed to doing something for six weeks um, once a year. I was, right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was more involvement. And um, I was fully trained uh, as a uh, junior patrol officer, so I I could very well be the only only cop at the station uh, on the night shift, and uh, so it, were you working it was in fairly respo- you know very responsible right. position. Were you working more of like a rural setting at this point? Um, um, or? It was Marlborough Police Station, okay. which was the northern uh, suburb. Yeah. Of Salisbury, and part of the area that we covered was rural as well as the, the suburb. So I could get a call out to uh, something at, uh, in a tribal area, uh, a crime, uh, sudden death, uh, whatever, and that. So uh, I was doing both, basically a, a city type cop as well as a rural type cop. And I was doing that one day a week. 
right. and, uh, and driving a little panda car like a Land Rover or motorcycle. So this is obviously a big change of pace from your time doing those six-week call-outs with the Rhodesia Regiment. Uh, yeah, it was... I, I felt that I was more involved in what was going on uh, in being, uh, being in the police force. And at that time, I was working at government printers as well, and I was working for the Prime Minister's Department. So I was seeing a lot of uh, intelligence stuff there because I worked in the the security printing uh, part of the government printers. And uh, so that was, yeah, I felt I was more involved now than I had been in the territorials. Mm -hmm. Now in 1977, or around 1977 rather, you, either you decided to do it, some more advanced training or was it something that was offered something that you're made to do something happens and um, it steps up your BSAP I'm, I'm not I'm not sure the order I'm that it it happened in uh, but I went I went on an advanced driving course so that I could drive uh, B cars pursuit vehicles right okay the and those are only used at the central police station in Salisbury and Bulawayo. B cars were nowhere else. Okay. And that. so, I completed that course successfully, and and then and transferred to the Salisbury Central Police Station. And um, the National Service commitment number of days for my age group was going up, so. I, I basically ended up being attached to uh, one of the um, I'm trying to think what we called it. Uh, we had four different um, groups that covered shifts. So I was uh, I can't think of the word four something anyway. So I did. I did the same shift work that they did, okay, uh, at Salisbury Central. So it was initially the, what would happen is when they were working afternoon shift, I would work afternoon shift with them, and right. but I could still go to work at my regular work. But as as the commitment kept getting larger, I basically ended up working all the shifts with them and only going to my civilian job when I had time. And that's all the... And as, a, as opposed to my first right. station posting where I went yeah. one day a week in my own time, now it was I had... on my, All of my time was police time and I would go to work in my civilian yeah. job when I had time off, so... Yeah. So this was this like kind of like seventy seven. Yeah. Yes, and that's that's for context for those that are just I guess learning about the history of the Rhodesian Bush War or not super familiar. Like this is when the war is really starting to ramp up in terms of the different phases of the war. Um, at this point, the like the line units, RLI, Rhodesia Regiment, RAR. Right, those guys are starting to the casualties are starting to mount. Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously, you would see that every day in the newspapers that they'd be um, 
they'd be saying, you know, people are getting killed, wounded out there. I think this was the year that they, was it the first Viscount that was shot down that year? I think it was 77. 77 or 78. Could have been 78. Yeah. So civilian airliners around this period were getting shot down, which is Mm. pretty, it's a change of pace from what it was earlier in the war, for sure. Um, And uh, I think it was 78, the fuel depot in Salisbury, there was a rocket attack. That was, well, we had a couple of uh, stores that were suicide bombed Mm -hmm. in in Salisbury. In the uh, city. In the city, yeah. In the city where people more or less thought it was safe and there wasn't... It, It... It... yeah, it was safe until it wasn't. Yeah. Okay. It, it it basically there weren't that many bombings. Right. But when there were when they they did happen, it was pretty pretty horrific. Yep. Uh, there was a shopping mall with it was a Mother's Day, wasn't it? Yeah, something, yeah, something, something like that. Yeah. Something so, like that. Yeah, and it was a it was a female that brought the bomb in. Uh, yep. Uh, pretending to be pregnant, and she was carrying a, a landmine, and. and uh, and, and I, I'm pretty sure she didn't realize that she was going to blow up with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm sure she was tricked into carrying it in. Uh, the suicide bombing was not a mindset yeah. uh, of the African. Okay. Uh, yeah. So this is this is something new in the war that, that this escalation in many ways, and it, it's incidentally it's at this time that you you, well. Not incidentally, it's it's almost like a guarantee that the BSAP stuff is going to start trumping your your civilian career. Yeah, uh, and yeah. and you mentioned last podcast that you were also working um, with the Herald, the Rhodesian Herald, the newspaper, right? And um, I ended up back with the Herald. What happened is the the Herald bought. I went from government printers. I right. only worked there for two years. Where I worked in the security side of government printers. Right. Um, I went to work for the National Observer, which was the African newspaper in in Rhodesia, and they that newspaper ended up being actually bought by the Rhodesia Herald. Okay, right. Okay, and all the equipment was moved into the Herald building. Okay, the big thing was, uh, it was a color newspaper press involved. And foreign currency being the way it was, you couldn't just, Herald couldn't just go to Germany and buy a brand new color press. Yeah. Okay, so what they bought was the National Observer and their Goss Community Press, which was a uh, color litho press. So this was a Bishop Abel Missouri newspaper? Yeah. Right. It well, he. It wasn't officially it, his. It, but was it was definitely pro. It was uh, yeah. ANC Bishop was a resident. Right, and, and he's. I guess we can call him a more moderate African nationalist. Faction oh, absolutely. At this point. Yeah. He, well, there was a group, a group of moderates. I mean, they right. agreed to have an election amongst uh, moderate uh, African parties, yeah. which is what led to. Was Rare becoming the prime minister of Zimbabwe, Rhodesia? Yeah. So yeah. there were there were a number of black moderates, black African moderates during Sitoli, this period. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Totally. Um, and Muzarewa, uh, obviously. Chief Chiral. Right. Uh, and 
So not everybody was a Nicomo or a Mugabe. Yeah. Well, in, even in Como had the potential of being moderate uh -huh. until he took credit for shooting down those uh, the two uh, civilian aircraft. Yep. Yeah, and that and that that put him beyond the pale. He just like yeah. So we're we're referencing the Aerodesia Viscount shoot downs. There's a lot of and that's maybe another podcast discussion we'll have mm -hmm. to have. In the, in the future for sure because that lots of civilian casualties um, and, and as you mentioned the, the Salisbury attacks lots of civilian casualties and you're you're working in Salisbury at this time was there as you're going out were you seeing and it's it's reflected in your poem again if you want to you want to listen to that poem just check the description underneath this podcast or check out episode 9 of the Men Among Men Stories podcast but are are things starting? Are you starting to see things ramp up as you go out for more callouts? Are there more incidents? Are there more? Um, yes, because it was a a uh, a rural African presence just outside of the city that right. that we were in, would be involved with uh, on the police side. See, the BSAP was basically the intelligence arm of the military. Uh, if there was a contact somewhere, there would be somebody from special brands in It's the police that went in that collect, collected the all any any of the captured uh, arms, uh, literature. Any intelligence? We did all the interrogating, and the army didn't do any of that. And that, mm. so we we basically were closely involved in the war. In fact, uh, it was extremely well documented because every incident was treated as a, a, a criminal attempted murder. So a dock would be open. There would be ballistics, all all sorts, and that close involvement. And that so, in Salisbury, any incidents we would we would be involved in in uh, doing the interrogating and stuff like that. And the other thing was that as a member of the reserve, I also had a commitment to go to the bush with the police as well. So I was doing six week stints in rural police stations in that. Uh, on the Mozambique border, uh, in Yanga, and down at Nyanyadzi, or in the middle of Zaka, where there was like 250,000 Africans, and there was like three white guys and 15 African police that size uh, an area the size of Scotland. Wow. <laughs> And that's that's where you are in this picture on the on the poem, right? Well, that that, 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 like you're doing that, that was close to Salisbury. That was yeah, okay. uh, Boredale. It was Boredale Police Station that we were operating right. out of, and um, I can't think of the, uh, the TTL, the Tribal the Trust Tribal Land. Trust Land. That okay. that was part of, uh, but yeah, it was it was that close. Mm -hmm. that uh, 
there was protected villages in that area and large group of terrorists um, attacked one of the protected villages one night so there was a, quite a quite a firefight and, and uh, yeah and uh, it was it was pretty close to the city now at, at this point were you starting to see more I guess carnage from this war starting to impact civilians because obviously when you were doing your six weeks in the bush as the Rhodesia regiment guy um, and even even to some extent when when you joined the A reserve initially um, just doing you know once once a week now you're you're, you're kind of back to this call-up tempo where you're going to the week for up or sorry you're going to the bush for up to six weeks you are were you starting to see this like impact the civilians and uh, especially with the like the roads being landmined mm-hmm. at this point which was something that was intensifying um, and I don't know like I've, I've I don't know if you saw it yourself, but there were definitely reprisals against the black moderates that we discussed earlier, or, or people that were considered uh, collaborationists. And you, you mentioned you did see this once and, with the Rhodesia Regiment. Uh, yeah. And security, black security force members on, um, on leave. They right. were a huge target. They would go back to their... Uh, to their village uh, for like a week's holiday or whatever, and somebody would point them out, and uh, they would, something, you know, they'd be executed or normally beaten or tortured first, and then, then executed. There was, there was a lot of that. Uh, BSAP, especially. Uh, because a huge part of the police force were uh, were, were African constables or or, uh, or or you know corporals or sergeants in the police, and they they were definitely at risk of of uh, being abducted when they when they were on leave. And, uh, so just going back home, they were yeah they were at yeah. risk. Yeah, if you look at the um, not, it's not the roll on or there's like every day uh, there's a, uh, a website that posts uh, the casualties for that day over a number of years and it normally gives the circumstances and you see a, a lot of them uh, a lot of people obviously were killed in, a, in contacts or landmines or ambushes and that but you also get uh, killed while on leave, and, uh, and did you ever have to investigate these? Because I know there were there were a few very very high profile ones that involved. We're, we're talking like full on fire force contacts too. Yeah, uh, retrieve guys. So the sergeant, I think he Rurunda of the Salu Scouts, who was a Silver Cross and Bronze Cross of Rhodesia recipient. He was kidnapped in '76. I want to say, mm. yeah, '76 and. Um, He's still one of the ones that's missing because they never, yeah, know, never found yeah, the body. They yeah. walked him. Um, he was actually a one-leg amputee, and they walked him across the the Mozambique border, 
no one knows what happened to him beyond that. So, yeah. But they send out like full ROI, um, because he was like a pretty, I guess what what's the word like, uh, oh, every, significantly yeah. significant guy. Every, he was, every, he was every a, abduction was fully fully investigated, yeah. and if um, if it was recent enough, I mean there there would be some sort of follow up to try to. Yeah. You know, and even cross border. Yep. And that, uh, a lot of people probably don't know that a lot of mission schools, all of the school children, we rounded up and attempt made to get them out of the country for training. So, like a whole a whole mission school, like two hundred, like mission, two, two, like Christian mission. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred, two hundred African children, like you know, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years old, and uh, uh, and it's like two hundred of them trying to are being forced to somehow exit the country. And that. So there was follow up. So police would do a follow up on that. Trying to trying to intercept them being being abducted. Um, yeah, so the uh, police working district was really it, it was interesting. If if you're at a uh, a rural police station and you notice that the uh, the incidents of crime, petty normal crimes being reported went down, it was probably because there was a terrorist presence in the area. Oh, really? Yeah. It was a clear indication that there were, you know, they weren't coming to the police station to report the stolen bicycle because they didn't want to get labeled as a seller. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, so... The war came to basically came to Salisbury uh, in, in an urban type environment where you know we'd get a group would come in and try to sabotage or, 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 or blow up a, uh, a supermarket or something like that and then our job was to you know following intelligence is to try to locate them and we normally did. They, it was a lot of. It was easy to get into Salisbury. Uh, they most of them never got out. They, you know, they ended up being taken out. And, uh, and during that time, uh, we the police had a, a urban emergency unit, and it's basically an urban anti-terrorist unit. In, you, uh, out of Salisbury Central Police Station, you, you and, did, I, and I became part of that. Right. You did a little. You did a little bit more advanced training. Yeah, helicopter yeah, board stuff. Yeah, advanced driving. Um, there's the, there's pretty some we pretty well. We did. Three of us were sent uh, to South Africa, right, to train on uh, aircraft entry, on jumbo jets, on how to, uh, and some. So seven, like a grounded seven aircraft, twenty-seven, like yeah. a grounded aircraft going in yep. to the doors to clear them. Yeah, right. they're not. Just, 
they're really not designed for you to break in. Yeah. Okay. They're they're not. They're just built the wrong way. And uh, yeah. so, uh, and yeah. that. But you know, goofy things like. Anyway, we had lots of fun in training, and that. Uh, uh, Would you say it was like a well, like selection course, jumping you know, jumping onto the roof of a moving train and then oh, going right. from car to car. Right. Not, <laughs> not that that it was ever going to happen, but yeah. it was yeah. like. Can we train for that? Awesome. So you you guys try to just get as prepared as possible. Well, it wasn't just really think, like a think of worst case scenarios and right. like what right. would we do if and right. that. <clears throat> right. Yeah, our uh, so, our uh, our uh, house clearing uh, was pretty intense. Like we learned, you know, we we trained on how to. Uh, uh, to mouse hole, which I would, thought was really interesting, because the Canadians right. developed that during the Second World War in, in Italy. Yeah. In that, like you don't. So if, what, what if is you're clearing a, a row of houses, yeah. you don't go from door to door. You you get into one house and then you start punching walls. Uh, Ortona, they did that in Ortona. It was Ortona that. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And I was like, yeah, the Canadians developed that one, yeah. and that. So you know, we got to do that. Um, we we had the Los Angeles SWAT team actually came out to Rhodesia to what to see right. uh, see our training, okay, and they couldn't believe how realistic it was because um, we training on uh, the entry entry team for for you know for uh, room entry and that. Uh, We'd take one of our guys, and he would sit in a chair, and we'd take turns doing it. You'd be in the chair with figure 11 targets around you, and your team would come in with live rounds, and would take out the figure 11. And your job was to critique their entry. (laughs) And not get shot. (laughs) A live um, do not shoot target. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Right, so we take turns of that. Those that are. Yeah, I got gassed really bad in demoing for the uh, Los Angeles SWAT team. It was that, you know, like, I mean, I had snot for a week. It was, oh, you mean like CS gas? Yeah, yeah. Right. It was, and the uh, post-mortem on that one was, yeah. they came in too soon. I was still functional. Okay. It was like, oh, really? no, you need to add another minute. Were you so to were the you trying to, time before were you, you come through the door? Were you trying to be like, were you op for for them or something? Were you like training the, uh, like were you the bad guy in this scenario? I was the bad. To, I was okay, the bad so guy, like an and I got right. and and I was evaluating how long, <laughs> whether I would would still be lethal after being gassed, and for, for how sure. many minutes. Right. And it was like, no, no, you came in too soon. I would have got you. <laughs> <laughs> So this yeah. this is a pretty uh, intense op tempo. I mean, you're, yeah. you're, you're this is this training, this super intense training, which yeah. is not. I would would you, would you say it was like a selection course or was this like professional development? Uh, it was development. Uh, it was development. We okay. nobody we they wouldn't look at anybody in the for SWAT unless you had combat experience already. Right. right. Okay. So it was which is okay. Normally, police in Canada yeah. don't get that. Yeah. yeah. 
So your selection Option. was was your selection was fatality. you've been shot at yeah. before. Yeah. Okay. Roger that. And survived. <laughs> there you yeah. go. Yeah. So you'd pass that test. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, you, this is a pretty intense op tempo because again yeah. you're 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 doing this level of training which is extreme. Definitely by like today's standards, I don't think there's a lot of countries in the world. There are a few places and a few units I know that still do the uh, live do not shoot targets, but yeah. not not a lot. Not a lot of people and have that or you know push it to that. SAS level. do that. Yeah, yeah. They're killing. They're yep. killing those. You sit in there and there's you get shot around. Yep. And, uh, you, you tell that though to most even SWAT teams today or conventional infantry units they'll. A <laughs> safety officer well, blow a gasket, right? Well, if you're, I mean, during during training, you know, yeah. the, you got like uh, four guys, and you're going to make an entry, and you're and you're going down the wall, and uh, well, what are the inspectors? Well, you're going down the wall. He's got his nine mil, and he's doing this. He's just. That's why I'm deaf. <laughs> so. Because it's a podcast, Larry, Larry just gestured. You, you, the, like literally, the inspector would be the gun would be like right beside your ear both times. If you didn't think it was fine. Yeah, and, right. and it's firing right beside your ear. Firing right beside you. Yeah. You get that? Like you just you, you got to know that people can function inside a kill house with yeah. live rounds. Yeah, and I now this is a bit of a tangent, but you've you've mentioned as well some reference to like hearing loss. There was an incident with a Bren once. I don't know if it was in a in a, in a K car or a B car, but no, it was a, it was was in a Land Rover. Okay, it was you're, in a Land you're Rover. You're talking about the an ambush. Yes. Where, where I returned yeah. fire. Yeah. Uh, there was somebody. Somebody returned well, fire to the Bren. It was me. Um, okay. I had just i I'd, I'd been posted to Nyanyaji uh, Police Station. Which was uh, Eastern Highlands, so it was a convoy ride uh, from Umtali down to Nyanyaji Police Station. I just got there, and we got a call that there was a, a contact and and fire force uh, deployment back up the road, and they needed fuel. Okay. We right. had 44 gallon drums of uh, avgas all over the country, but police stations had a, had a cache as well, and uh, so we loaded we loaded a, a 40 a 44 gallon drum in the back of our open back Land Rover, a short wheelbase police Land Rover. Uh, the only mine protection we had was a conveyor belting on the floor. Of of the of the Land Rover, uh, but no doors. We didn't have doors on our police Land Rovers, uh, simply because if you were going to be in an ambush, you wanted to get if you're going to get hit, you wanted to get hit with a clean round, not one that had come through a door. Yeah. Okay, because the door was no protection. All it would do is yeah. just start tumbling the bullet. So soft skin vehicle. Yeah. Right? yeah. So anyway. Uh, the station uh, automatic weapon at that particular station it could have been it could have been an MAG yep. or a Bren gun at this 
at this stage knew it was a Bren with a with a forty round forty round mag on it. I grabbed the Bren, and the funny thing is, I could for years I could never remember the guy's name, the other PO, until somebody said, "Well, his name's Jenkins," and I went, "Well, that's why I can't remember his name." <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. So we head off. Our job is to deliver this. Drum of gas. Yeah. I don't know, five, six K up the road. We get opened up on there's an ambush. Yeah. So we get ambushed on the from the driver's side of the of the vehicle and I'm sitting with the Bren on the other side. Yeah. So I So sorry, Rhodesia, did they drive on the right? Yeah, Sims the British. Okay, the, yeah, the driver's no over problem. here. So I'm sitting right. here. Right. And that, okay. uh, so to return fire, I had to actually fire across his lap with the Brenda. And it was dist- at District Police Station, or our standard summer dress as shorts. Short shorts, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> so anyway, I dumped 40 rounds of hot brass. <laughs> Between his thighs. I'm sure he was pleased with you that day. He got, yeah, third degree, <laughs> third degree burns. But we broke off the contact. Yeah. yeah. That was, it was only only one only yeah. one round from from the ambush position. He actually hit our vehicle. Wow. And that that hit him in his hit the driver in his ankle. Oh jeez. But above the ankle, but. Yeah. Between the bone and the Achilles, it was it was basically a flesh wound that went straight, right, went through and through, into the transmission of the Land Rover. Yeah. So it jammed the the gearbox, we couldn't change gears, and that. But we managed we managed to drive drive through, and when when we went back, because I had to deal with him now. He was wounded. But yeah. I, th- I think his burns to his thighs were worse than the gunshot wound to his ankle. But, uh, so that yeah, was like so there these, was nine, nine, nine yeah. firing positions that, that we'd driven through. So. Wow. Yeah. And they'd only hit us with one round. They shoot high on fully auto. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yeah. Is that the one you were? That, that is exactly the, story the one. Because I, I remember yeah, it yeah. to deal with third degree yeah. burns on thighs. So, but, yeah, because the, the brand dumps around straight out the bottom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was that was like Rob Temple. Basically, it was it was kind of stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. Uh, the worst worst posting was Zaka, which was like in the bush. Okay. Right. It was it was so rural. Uh, it was unbelievable. Yeah, like Nyanyaji was on sort of the main road from Umtali down. Right. Uh, yeah, uh. Bir- Birchinok Bridge was only a few miles from us, so we were, that was our bridge. We were sort of guarding that. Right. And that was sort of a main drag, so that wasn't too bad there, but Zaka was the worst. It was all dirt roads. It was like, you drive by burnt out buses that have been sitting there for for months and months. Just from um, like landmines and from landmines. ambushes and stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
it it was the it was the the rural African population that that the landmines affected the most. I right. mean, they were the, was the basically the buses they quit they just quit running buses because of landmines. And and I recall you you had to respond to a few. Or at least, at well, least we had to respond. The police, we had to respond to everything. We were yeah. normally the first vehicle there, and a lot of the, a lot of the incidents that that they did, if they if they planted a landmine to blow up a farm vehicle full of farm workers, um, there they would be waiting somewhere for us to respond right. to ambush us on the way in or on the way out. And the crazy thing was a lot, a lot of. A lot of places we went, we had to take the same road back as we took in, and that is right. That's not. That's just not right. That that's, is silly. Yeah, okay. That's not the way to. You get, you're to setting yourself boys, up yeah. for sure. So yeah. And, and we're crazy. We're driving around in thin skin vehicles, you know. But and you're two guys in a in a Land Rover yeah. went where probably uh, the army would only respond with a platoon. Okay, and there two, we would do it with two people. Yeah, BSAP were just, yeah, we were fodder. <laughs> shoestring, shoestring yeah. budgets it, and ops. Well, it, we'd, they'd police that way for so long yeah. and had so much respect uh, from, you know, uh, from civilians, I mean, like I said, the, the police there really wasn't, they were not armed. Your uniform was your defense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there, yeah, there was. We had to go back to dressing like a policeman because when we changed the full camel, the... Uh, uh, civilian population. The feedback we got was like, "What? Why, when there's terrorists in the area, the police all leave and the army arrive?" And it's like, it's not the army. It's it's still the same police yeah, guys. They're just wearing camouflage now, yeah. so they won't get, so they can hide if they have to. <laughs> and, uh, and it was like, okay, you guys, you can wear all your camouflage, but you got to wear your police cap from now on. So that and that made this uh, that made a huge difference for relations. Mm -hmm. yeah. Larry, you mentioned last podcast that the guerrillas you described as using the Chinese method of war, where you said they literally beat the peasants to death. Yeah. Would you say that the majority of guerrilla activity was directed at the African rural population? Oh yeah, they didn't. They did not want to engage the security forces. They're. They're. Uh, their mo would be to run away. They wouldn't stand a fight. They didn't. That didn't want to do that. That was. So, our uh, percentage of an engagement was really low. I mean, if there was a group of thirty terrorists and they we somehow clashed, they would they'd be gone. Even though. In most contacts, they had they had a, a numerical superiority. Well, you were we, only two guys, right? Most of this stuff. Yeah, but we yeah, but we 
we would could run in. Well, I got ambushed by two of us driving a Land Rover, open Land Rover. There was nine firing positions, and only one round hit us, and we drove. We managed to drive out of the out of the killing zone, and that, and they, they were gone. It's it's not like you know that suddenly they were <laughs> chasing us or whatever. It was the other way around. I mean, yeah. they just they just took off. So that was the hardest part. That was to engage them, and that, and this is where this is where fire force and the well, yeah came in. I mean, once we started doing that. Only used fire force when we had an absolute, hundred percent sighting. Yep. Okay. So no lemons. Uh, all of a sudden, the numbers were, were like eighty percent plus. So mm. if there was a group of thirty, we would hold eighty percent of that thirty. Wow. And, uh, and uh, that worked really well. But yeah, no, they were just they just beat the living crap out of the civilians. And just witnessing all this, and with that, and they, and they do it selectively. Yeah. It's like that they wouldn't go in and massacre a village; they would just go in and kill the elders, and say, "We're in charge now." So again, with 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 this op temple and this all happening in the background, like, were you starting to feel some of that? I guess, word for word, just just combat related stress starting to mount. Now you mentioned in the last podcast we did episode nine that you had there were techniques that you'd been taught at this up to this point, so like transcendental meditation and stuff and Well that, and, and that was so I did That was not sleep. That that was yeah. to get through an ambush, okay, right. without falling asleep. Uh right. Yeah, that had nothing to do that was not uh uh Mindfulness meditation. Okay. Right. Okay. 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 Right. <laughs> so what? What? I guess was there training on like how how do you deal with? Obviously, after a contact like the one you described with the Bren gun, and the Bren, even by you know the standards of forty years ago, was kind of antiquated as a as a weapon system, mm. with a forty round, you know, banana mag. banana yeah, mag. Yeah, yeah. So, what? I guess, like, what did you do to cope with that op tempo? Because it, it's starting to change from, um, as, as uh, it more intensified, it, it intensified for you. You went looking for another contact? Right. Okay, the best. Adrenaline is really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I mean, a lot of guys drank like crazy on between call-outs, um, lots of failed marriages and lots of funny business going on. Uh, we really, there was really nothing in place to, uh, there was no counseling or anything like that. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I mean, I, me I remember, a, a, uh, I remember a young friend of mine after his first contact having to help him. So it was more you know, it we tend to be tended to be more worried and wanted to help people that just dealt with killing somebody for the first time. Right. As, a, as opposed 
to fixing people to go back to being a civilian. Because uh, we never did really go back to being a civilian. The, the whole time I was there, you got yeah, yeah, yeah. You you were in the call out mode, even when you were not. Okay, so that so that even, never even, went away. Even I, when you'd be yeah. working at like you didn't do a tour. Yeah. And, you know, kind of like back of your mind, like you knew, like well, just it, when's the next call call up call out, right? When's the next yeah contact? When's the next you know? When's the next yeah. this and that? Not not when's the next paycheck really, or when's the next shift? When's the next vacation pay or holiday? Mm-hmm. It's it's when's the next contact? And yeah. I guess so. Your your way of coping was just to to get back out there and keep yeah staying yeah. switched on yeah. yeah. And of course, it did, did as we talked about last, last podcast. It did. Okay all come to an end after quite quite a few years. I think you're in Rhodesia for a total of... Well, basically 10 years. 10 years. 71 to 81. Yeah. yeah. That's a decade of your life yeah. in this... Well, it, it was... I'd spent most of my adult life there when I left. That's lacked. right, yeah. Okay. Because I went... I think it was like 26 when I went there. You're now and now your 30s. I'm 36, so yeah. And um, <clears throat> now, towards the end, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but in terms of like your relationships with people or you know, relationships with women, mm-hmm. um, you were you were kind of well, you I guess you had your own place, right? Or did you? I remember you, you've mentioned to me you stayed in um, some somebody's like country home or something at one point oh yeah I, a cottage I, a cottage was all, but yeah I did, no I uh, we called it a, a mixed mess so somebody would rent a house right and and then you'd end up with a bunch of roommates yeah and that so yeah I did that uh, a couple of places um that Ended up, ended up an apartment. Uh, well, the place you mentioned with the tennis court and stuff. And the, that was, that was a real nice mix mess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was actually, uh, it was. Uh, I can't think of his name. It, it, it's like he was. He was the president. Of President of Rhodesia. It yeah, was his Clifford private du- residence, du- but he du- was living in a government house. Yeah. In that, and it was the little guy. Uh, Clifford. Du- Clifford something, right? Clifford yeah. Du- yeah. Clifford. Clifford. Dupont. Yeah. Dupont. Yeah. Dupont. Yeah. Yeah. It was his house. So yeah. So you, you're staying in the president of Rhodesia's <laughs> house. It's not Ian Smith, by the way. Ian Smith no. was prime minister. Clifford yeah. Dupont yeah. was a was a different yeah. title. He had a president and a prime minister. But you're staying Clifford in there. Does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're staying in the president of Rhodesia's house. Well, okay. I'm sure I there think were it was about six or seven of us there. Okay, and were you all service? Like and all and we had servants, so we had a gardener that we right. we paid for, and we had a cook that we paid for. And you're all in the service. You're all military or security well, forces. Oh uh, well, no, I I most of us had civilian jobs. Yeah. We're all. Uh, had national service commitments of right. some sort, but right, yeah, we were yep. working people. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that 
that mixed mess had a waiting list for people wanting to get, <laughs> get a tennis get a room court. there. Yeah. And uh, was there a swimming pool? Yeah. 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 That's, well, I guess that's the way to fight a war if, if ever asked. But anyway, so anyways, there's, I, I asked because like, not only are you chasing contacts, but there's, you know, you're out beyond that. There's just like parties and there's drinking and there's a bit of alcoholism that's starting to show up with people. Um, well, we had crazy guys playing Russian roulette at the <laughs> yeah. Monomatapa Hotel. And yeah. And one, you know, one guy killed himself. Wow. You know, like, they watched the movie The Deer Hunter and they thought that was a really good idea. I've, wow. I have, no. <laughs> Jeez. So, that's starting to manifest itself in, in some people and, mm. um, and and you, I, I guess for you to kind of get over thing, well, just not dwell on it. It's just to keep keep seeking more. Oh, it, yeah, it was. I I never really had a problem with what I was doing because I was doing the right thing. I mean, right. there's nothing wrong with you know solving crime and yeah, and exactly. And protecting people, okay. Yep. <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty, pretty noble calling. Yeah. And that, yeah. The problems I had was when I came back back to Canada. It's when it all it's kind of like, when it like, ended. Uh, it was like the guy, I'm sure it was the guys, the, the Vietnam vets, when they came back. Well, they just you know everybody called them baby killers. I mean, not. Yeah. So you you came back with. With the wife, we, we mentioned your wedding. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I ma I ma I married a woman that worked at the Herald. Right. Okay, so I I known her there for a few years. Okay, right. and uh, uh, we started. Uh, yeah, she went and backpacked through Europe for about four months. Right. Okay, and and when she came back from. Uh, from that trip, she was way more interesting than before she'd gone. So, well, yeah. I mean, that was, you know. yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we started dating, and, and uh, we made a commitment to get married. And, and we got married, and it was like... Uh, Did you as well know at this point when you guys had made that decision to get married, like Rhodesia was not... We we didn't know what was going to happen. Right. Okay, Mugabe had go, was in, mm. uh, but there was sort of promise that yeah, reconciliation. It, it, yeah, that yeah. It, you know it was going to be okay. Uh, but a year in, it was you know pretty obvious. I mean, I had a few of my friends that were were ex police. They they got like management positions with some serious companies yeah. in Rhodesia and it was like okay you know one guy dealt with spare parts for agricultural equipment and it's like they haven't given us any money to, to import spares we don't know how we're going to get the crops off this year and it's like, mm -hmm. it was that kind of like inside yeah. information like no this is going to go south really really easy really yeah. quick uh and I, I had a like a junior management position at the Herald, 
that time because, uh, like, like I said, they bought the National Observer, and uh, I came with it and ran that that department. And we heard on the news on a Saturday that Rhodesia Printing and Publishing had just been bought by uh, the Rhodesian government or the Zimbabwe, Zimbabwe government. government. And Nigeria had given them, I forget how many, $45 million or what. So they, I mean, they did it honorably. They actually bought out the shareholders mm-hmm. of, of the company, but it was, okay, now, now this is a nationalist newspaper and uh, went into work on Monday and they had a, there was a big meeting we're all called to and it was like okay sorry you heard it on the news before you heard it <laughs> officially from us but yes yeah. we've been bought <laughs> and the editorial department is going to be uh, Africanized or some more uh, appropriate name for it but basically what was was it was going to be everybody that was white was going to be replaced by by uh, by uh, African journalists. So and uh, but uh, but the white guys had to stay on and train them. Okay, now, that that always that always gets me with any company that take over that they bring in they bring in. Uh, they want to outsource all your jobs to some bunch of people in Salvador, but they want you to train them yeah. <laughs> before you leave. It's just so. It's just any, like, anyway, so uh, with George Capon, he uh, was uh, the CEO of Rhodesia Printing and Publishing. Anyway, he, he made the announcement. And it was like, okay, this is what's happening with editorial, but the technical staff have nothing to worry about. And it's like, so I sort of put my hand up, and I said, and it was George that had hired me. I said, George, so what you're saying is my end of the ship is not sinking. And six weeks later, I left. Yeah. Okay. What, what did you? It was just that it, it was the right, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did your What did your wife at the time think about that? Just. Because she was a native, unlike you know, unlike you, she was. Well, she yeah, she worked in the edit, uh, in the advertising department as an right. illustrator. Okay, so she knew this too that this this she was in the same company. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this affected her as well, and it was. So it wasn't. It was. It was I guess it would have been mutual that you guys both said, yeah. "We're going to bug yeah. out." Yeah. It's yeah. The, the I mean, the, the hardest part for her was that. Uh, her her mother had been divorced for a number of years, and her 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 father was had remarried and was living in South Africa. So, yeah, her her biggest worry was that okay, what about her mother? Right. And, uh, and uh, but her mother was was fine to stay. She had she had all her friends. She. Uh, She had a good path to retirement because she was working for a really good company and had a pension and all, all sorts of stuff. So, that, we were, that that wasn't that worrisome. So, uh, 
Yeah. So no, you, no, did you guys? No, go- Bev, Bev, Bev agreed that we couldn't stay there. Yeah. And and her backpack around Europe had really opened her eyes to like, okay, there's 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 more. There's more. There's, you know, the rest of the world is, you know, it might not be as pretty as Zimbabwe, but. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. So you you went to you went back to uh, British Columbia at yeah. first, where you're from initially yeah. in Canada. Like, what what were those early years? And you you had a she gave birth to a child later on. Um, you guys had a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in six years later, about six years later. After about six years later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so that's 1987. But that, that period between 81 to 87 is. I know from talking to Chris Cox, who we've also done an interview with. Which episode was that? Hindu. That was episode number six. Episode six with um, Chris Cox. That a lot of guys started to kind of chase the adrenaline almost um, as soon as they left places like Rhodesia or even mm. South Africa for yeah. the guys that served in the border war. And you see that with Vietnam veterans as well, right? You know, honestly, see it with every war, even the Second War, Korean War. You'll you'll see guys do stuff like suddenly decide, hey, I'm going to be a hell's angel, or I'm going to go mm-hmm. <laughs> take up skydiving or cave dive or, or cave diving, cave shark sparking, hunting. shark hunting, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, um, was that was there a bit of a streak of you in that to kind of continue to chase the adrenaline, or did you try to shut it off? When I first got back, I thought, well, maybe I could join the police force. Right. Okay. And I do think I put in an application with maybe the Vancouver police, and I don't even think I got a reply. Right. Okay. So, um, no, my my big thing was uh, uh, the printing industry was there was a, there was a need for you yeah there yeah was a need for you i i had i had some skills that were in in demand um and i managed managed to get work with with progressive companies that just kept pushing me to like new technology Learn it, uh, and that. So that was, that really, that gave me a lot, you know. I guess like a new mission. To yeah, focus yeah, it really engaged engaged me a hundred percent. And and the thing is, the 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 industry was fun. It was not like hard work. It was really creative work. Right. Okay. Which is you're you're still a techie to this day. You're still yeah. A, you're still a, you're better, <laughs> better techie than us. Than us. Some, some of this stuff you helped us set up half this half this thing today. So yeah. yeah. And so I mean, I th- my worry was that I'd got behind on technology, so I yeah. went out and took some computer courses and yeah. and, and stuff like that. Uh, and it was only years later that I realized that I was actually pioneering at the time. Yeah. So, but the, but the the printing industry has always uh, used technology uh, that is cutting edge. Uh, yeah. Without even, you know, without you even knowing it. I mean, the thing is, a bank that went computerized 
they would buy a 300 megabyte disk drive that looked like a washing machine size-wise. Yeah. But and only had only need one. The the graphics industry because we're dealing with high-res scanned images, we needed 12 of just the drives and a hundred removable packs, whereas, you know, the bank down the corner has one drive and one pack. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was... Just because the, of the, yeah. the nature of the work, it was always, it had to be cutting edge. Well, us. to drive our linotypes at, uh, that were tape-fed, like the hot, hot metal typesetting machines, you could actually have people typing on typewriters making uh, teletype yep. punch tape. Okay. And you could feed feed that into a linotype machine and yep. it would it would run like a player piano setting type. Okay. So but the person do the typing will the only decision that they would have to make is the end where a paragraph ending is. Yeah. Because they didn't have to figure out how long the line was and where to make a yeah, decision to, yeah. to, to end, end the yeah. end the line. We we were using eleven thirty IBM computers that only high end banking corporate think people yeah. will use yeah. really, really expensive computer you know, computer that would be using punch cards to put in data and stuff like that. We would program one of those that if you run the tape from the guy that was just making, doing the keyboarding and putting in the uh, paragraph ending, you would tell it what size type, how, what length of line, and then this would be programmed. All it did was make a line-ending decision. It would mm -hmm. pump out another piece of tape that said uh, return. It would put in the return codes and a hyphen if you needed one because, because of the, the word. next word was too long in that. So, Which is what we all, you know, we take for granted. So, you know, well, you know, well, yeah, I go to Colorado Springs for six weeks, yeah. learn how to program in 1130 yeah. IBM. It's got core memory, and finance at the Rand Daily Mail in South Africa, they had one of those upstairs that did all of their billing, everything. That's yeah. a, their 1130 IBM did that up there. We had two of them down in composing that just put the hyphen in at the end of the line in that. So... <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, printing was pretty exciting when I yeah. at that time when I got back, and I managed to work at companies that just they just kept buying the latest technology, and you know, three or four of us would have to go off to New York for six weeks and learn how to how to run this new equipment, and we you know we'd be the only we'd be the only three guys in the Lower Mainland that knew how to run one of those. Right. So, so that that. That kept me pretty busy. Right. In 1987, your son's born. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, Best day of my life. Um, like, 
now, however, like within by the time he's five, um, you actually get divorced, um, and you don't have to get into all the specifics, obviously, but yeah, your mood at this time, uh, even even though you had fa- kind of found this mission and you'd mm. been kind of getting in the groove of being a civilian again, right? And it wasn't. You know, I, I don't I, think I, I I quit saying anything about Rhodesia right. within two or three months of coming back. To right. Canada. Okay. And you weren't exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, apartheid was in the news. Right. South Africa right. was in the news. So. And I, I there was there was absolutely no way I could explain any difference between yeah. Rhodesia and South Africa. So you. And you know, the, yeah, you you, uh, you had you had lived. The, I didn't have a fire buddy anymore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. no, no sympathy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so no public. Now, when you when you found like that next mission, it wasn't some or, I guess that next bit of adrenaline. And uh, Chris Cox talked with this about us. Uh, sorry, talked with us about this. Um, one of his buddy is. Uh, Marius Marai um, got hard into like motorcycles and uh, I think something like he was an RLL guy three commando oh okay and like I think like a year later he was dead in a motorcycle accident just cause he would he just fly right after uh, that was his way of chasing but your way wasn't and some people uh, turn alcoholism or some sort of substance abuse you had your mission, and it wasn't exactly self-destructive, but you do mention, like, there's, to some extent, like, just because you hadn't talked about it in, in, in so long by this point, by the time your mm. son was born, by the time uh, you were divorced later on, this, around 90, 1992, mm. you, your your mood is starting to almost change on, a, on an everyday basis, and there's, there's things, um, <coughs> uh, that, that are in your character now that that weren't there previously, or maybe they maybe they were there. Um, I I just avoided things. It was easier. Uh, mm. uh, I don't didn't really, you know. I don't like conflict. Um, and. Either I, either I, either I functioned at a zero, or I would go to a ten. <laughs> right. Okay. So, the, 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 you just try to stay at zero. Okay. Yeah. Because it, you know, I couldn't operate at two. Okay. If you were set off, you would just be, yeah, be yeah, set off. yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this something that like gradually built up, or um, is it something that like almost right away? No, I, no, I don't think it gradually built. I think I think it was there, but it, it I, I just, just avoided it, just pushed it, yeah, pushed and, it until someone pushed but the it, buttons it, enough. 
But it's not yeah. it's not until you get into a relationship with somebody yeah. that you have to to talk about things. Yeah. And you know, when you're on your own, you know, you, you got uh, there's nobody to blow up in front of in that. Whereas when you, you know, once you get into a relationship, then it's like, okay, uh, things are going to come up, and that's when you find out that you you don't you can't work at a two. You you're either at zero or you're at ten. And uh, almost like mood swings, just. Uh, well, or, or it, it's okay. What I have since learned, yeah. <laughs> yes, is that you deal with things when they're only a two, and solve them, and not just well let them let them let, build up to a ten. Just, yeah, yeah. Don't do anything and just brood and stuff and stuff and stuff right. and then. Okay, I'm, now you now you. You've had enough, and you're now at a ten. Okay. I mean, you're you're incredibly open about talking about your experiences in Rhodesia now. It's kind of hard for me to honestly imagine when you're when you're back, like to within two months, that our three months is just not a word. Be just. Well, and it's just, and that I, and I, I can imagine um, by the time of your divorce in '92, there, yeah. which is I think almost yeah, ten years. I talked to my mother. Okay. Okay. And that was it. Yeah, because I could, I could. I had a. There was another vet guy, and he's still around. Second World War vet. vet. He was my journeyman uh, from years ago. And that uh, I could talk. I could talk to George, but um, that was. I did. You know, I only saw him a little bit when I came back from yep. Rhodesia, and that, and then uh, distance-wise, we we're you know we just couldn't didn't have a conversation with him going forward. Uh, yeah, my, yeah, my mother because because what she'd gone through during the Second World War, right? And uh, I could talk to her about some things. Um, but yeah, it was, I guess my, you end up with a lot of dark humor that, that only military guys under, appreciate, and it didn't go over well with civilians <laughs> when I got back from Canada. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, it's like, well, the term floppy for you know stuff like that just <laughs> just our jargon it was yeah. just like yeah no you, you know like I can't. how do you how do you explain to that all the people that were bad were a particular happened color happened to be <laughs> a particular color not of and uh, eth ethnicity and but eighty percent of the guys you were fighting with were exactly the same <laughs> group. You, it's you must hate them all. No, <laughs> no, you missed the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so you just give up. Yeah. And, uh, and there's... But uh, Canadian military is just... They are invisible to the general population. Uh, people just do not know anybody that's in the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For whatever reason, they just don't. Um, so I ended up joining, uh, you were talking about Marius, uh, going, joining, uh, riding motorcycles, going crazy. Uh, I I've always ridden motorcycles, so I didn't I didn't have didn't to take go, it up. I didn't have to go crazy yeah. to take it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a veterans motorcycle group that's uh, Canada wise, and that I ended up joining them, and because of the what was going on in. Afghanistan. Some of the guys were Afghan vets and um, Bosnia vets. They actually knew something about Rhodesia, mm-hmm. which was like, really? Because, you know, if I'd say I was a Rhodesian vet, it was like, oh my God, it's a real Rhodesian vet. I got to introduce you to, to my buddies from mm-hmm. Afghanistan that just got back. It was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of that made a made a huge difference. You know, talk to yeah, talk to military uh, guys that actually had some combat experience because not you know it wasn't that many years ago that if you had a friend that was in the Canadian forces, they pushed a pencil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, so that was kind of neat talking to real vets and uh, the group I was in a couple of them had gone on a uh, a three weekend program and we're all raving about it and my wife uh, oh my present wife we've been uh, her and I've been married uh, ten years now so we got married in 2011, and that we'd known each other for one one to two years. Before that, uh, she comes out of a uh, uh, a healthcare background. That that was her training, and that, and she knew 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 an awful lot about mental health. In that. So she'd, she'd spotted that I had a, I had a problem with being black and white about things and just uh, my emotions get, could get high really quickly when there was, I, there was a better way for me to deal with it. And, and she tried to, she tried to explain the emotion regulation and and dialectic thinking and all of these wonderful clinical words that uh, sort of made sense to me, but I didn't really know how to apply it to me. Uh, the guys in the 
motorcycle unit that had taken this course. Uh, it was pretty good. It was a pretty good riding group because uh, all the wives were involved in it, and, and we'd have a weekly meeting and get together at the at the Legion and all that. So, you know, we we all talked amongst ourselves quite a bit. So. Chris was really interested in the course that these guys had done simply because of her her, her uh, healthcare background and understanding, you know, sort of stuff like that. Wanted to know how the how this worked and how it helped them. And anyway, it was a little conspiracy for them. She got them to convince me to to look into taking the course. <laughs> It's the boys telling you to do it. It was the boys told me to do it. Yeah. She didn't tell me to do it. <laughs> but that tends to work. Yeah. yeah. That tends to work. So, anyway, I took this course. I come back raving about all this stuff I'd learned about dialectic thinking <laughs> and, and, and emotion regulation. And it was like, well, that's what I've been telling you about. <laughs> I said, yeah, but you didn't know how to put it in military terms. Mm-hmm. So, so this this program. So that, that that's that's this program that uh, uh, if you're looking for a charity to support, that's the one. It, Veteran Transitions Network. Yeah. yeah. So there's a there's a play we recommend if you want to learn more about what this program does, and we're, we're, we'll talk about it. But yeah. there's a there's a play that we got to mention here. It's called Contact Unload. Yes. It's on YouTube. It's put up by the University of British Columbia. It's one of their, like, channels. I think it's one of their departments. It's on YouTube. It's yeah, pretty the, easy yeah, to find. The, we'll pro- put a, we'll the put program a was developed yeah. out of uh, UBC. Right. Uh, it was only, when I took it, 2014. 14. Like, I was graduate number 92. Right. Okay, in the program. And they put through six or eight people at a time. Uh, It was was pretty revolutionary. Uh, Controversial, some would say. Well, I mean, at least in the clinical world. Well, it was, it's basically, uh, they're doing trauma counseling. Right. And the unwritten rule of trauma counseling is you do not reenact trauma. Okay. Mm-hmm. That they broke the mold. They reenact trauma. Not over and over. And you pick one, you pick your, your one event that, you're, that they want to re, you're going to reenact. And, and, uh, I shouldn't. I mean, I shouldn't give that away if I'm recommending somebody go and take the course because I didn't know that was going to happen mm. when I took the course. Because uh, you do a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, it's in the before, it's in the play. before you get to yeah. that point. It's in the play. It's they the do play, do yeah. a re-edit and acting yeah. with Tim. Yeah, in it. Yeah, uh, and uh, the guys in that uh, in that play have all been through the program. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those are their stories. Yes. Those are their actual 
they're not just reenacting some imagined scenario. These are all because the one it, it and I yeah. I know Tim quite well. Right. Uh, I know what his trauma was that he went through, and he lived in a black hole for a long time because of what happened yep. to him. And he never, he could never ever forgive himself. Related to uh, the medevac and um, calling, calling in for the the Apache mission, if I remember. Yeah, he gave, he gave he gave the, the okay to take somebody out, and the guy he? was, he was an interpreter. He was a friendly. Yeah, yep. yeah, and um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, so you don't have you. Do, I mean, you don't have to be in the trench bayoneting yeah. people to have trauma. Yeah, that's absolutely. For the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, you 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 sat through this program, um, and some of the people there were. Yeah, it was three weekends. Yeah, three weekends. And was it with the gaps between like a t- right. two? At least a two-week gap between each of the uh, the four-day weekend and then another four-day weekend, and then a roundup two-day weekend. Right. Um, and you're doing homework in between. And, uh, it's a great program. They fl- flew guys in from all over British Columbia, all expenses paid. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't cost you a nickel, not even in gas. You get reimbursed for gas if you have to drive there. Uh, I'm still in contact. It was 2014. I'm still in contact with everybody mm-hmm. uh, that was in the program. I think there were six of us. Um, and we're all still healthy. And you, so we do buddy checks. Right. And you, you mentioned like some of these guys that were going into the program... Oh, it was a last resort. Last, last resort. absolute last resort. If this doesn't work, I will. I will be offing myself. Yeah, yeah like like literally like the weekend after or whatever is what, yeah. like literally just, this is the last opportunity. Yep. Now you weren't there. You had issues with your emotion, you know, emotional regulation, mm-hmm. right? And and then, I guess perce- your perception of things and when when to address issues. Yeah, I did. I would. Yeah, it. Yeah, I. Yep. Yeah, I don't. I like. I don't. I don't have flashbacks. Uh, I don't panic in a mall and think that I have to. You know, uh, I don't have to sit in the corner of a restaurant. Um, that's and, almost like the trope now for you know mm. the. "Quote unquote," like the messed up veteran. Like he sees, he hears a helicopter, yeah, and it's immediately he's back there. Yeah, he's yeah. immediately back there, and it, but it manifests then, in all kinds are, of different uh, ways. Right? One of the guys were like, was like that. Yeah, okay. and that is that is something that can definitely yeah, and happen. He, and yeah. he now has a service dog. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, me, me, it was different. I just, I got mad fast. Uh, mm. But not not often. It's not like I was in a rage all the time or wh- or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just that I really do not suffer fools gladly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. Uh, 
Now I'm really, really happy that there are people in the world that think it's important what color the kitchen is. <laughs> I am so glad. <laughs> because it did it was like really? You have no idea what's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, you, yeah, you uh, mentioned, um, again, these guys are, some of these guys were on their last legs, and I would imagine they would, they had tried other stuff, and I imagine there'd be some level of skepticism, and obviously, with myself being from something of a service background, and, and you know, with, with you having gone through three decades without having to go through a quote-unquote program, Right, mm -hmm. you didn't have to go see the, the, the shrink or anything. You didn't have to go. You didn't get thrown in the psych ward. Um, yeah, I didn't. Right? I didn't have this, is, kind this of is three decades. I, on. I didn't have breakdowns or yeah. anything like that. So this that. three decades on. Was there a little bit of skepticism on your part that you're like, okay, maybe this will be like a, you know, well, you're going to sing all kumbaya like when you walked into the program. What was your, what were your thoughts about it? I. And eventually, by the way, you were sold. Uh, uh, so you were sold got, by the program. I got interviewed by right. a uh, psychologist, and he asked me some questions about things. And I truly, I said, "How can this be for me? Uh, I don't, I don't have nightmares. I don't have flashbacks. Mm -hmm. I don't have, you know, I don't have all these things that." Yeah that you see in the movies. It's you weren't drinking that, a lot or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, but he says, well, I, I told him, you know, like some stuff that had happened that had still bothered me. And, that, and it was like, nope, nope, this will work. This is for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so big out of the whole thing, uh, I was in the right place at the right time, and I have got my pride back. Great. I'd like to ask you, Larry, uh, just a question. The term post-traumatic stress disorder is like universally applied to this issue, but I, I want to ask you what your feelings are on that actual term and how it relates to the experience of veterans. Well, they keep changing the name. Uh, I mean, what do they call it in the First World War? Shell shock? Shell shock. Second World War, what was it? Combat was fatigue? Lack CSD, of the, combat stress combat disorder, stress I think, disorder. was yeah, used at yeah, some point. Yeah. Uh, Soldiers hurt it, at one point. I think it's just co a co complex trauma. There's a part of your brain that bad things get stored in and it's supposed to be a one-way connection. That stuff's supposed to go in there and never come out again. I think I think the problem is is if how it gets packed may not be the right way okay it mm -hmm. should be put in there and never come out again and I think what's hap happens with 
a lot of people don't even know it, is that this stuff is leaking out. And the rest of it. And it, it shouldn't, okay? And you got to figure out a way to, to somehow... Uh, Sort of control it, uh, or or be able to, I don't know, re rethink it so that it's it doesn't you know you don't get haunted. Yeah. Uh, mindfulness meditation. That part of your brain, it's got a, I can never pronounce it, it's, it's a, your globoglobin or some silly thing. You know, you know what I'm talking about? You know that part of the brain? Uh, see, I'm be, looking at you. Um, okay, we got a medic over here. Ablagubla? Amygdala. Thank amygdala. you. Okay. The amygdala. Do you know it actually grows? <laughs> and it's not supposed to? And if it's grow if it's grown, it's because you haven't packed stuff in there properly. Um, eight weeks of mindfulness meditation will actually physically shrink it. And over matter. Yeah. Quite quite literally. Yeah. Literally, it yeah, will literally. shrink it. Yeah, and it needs to be shrunk. Yeah. 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 So it's. It, it's basically, yeah, post-traumatic stress, or what a crazy name. Just call, just call it complex trauma, okay? Because that's all it is. And, uh, and it could be a single event, or it could be years of, of it. You, I mean, you get, you get first responders. I mean, you get, you get ambulance workers, and uh, they, you know, they're... They're dealing with crap every day, day after day. Well, and that's the thing, right? I mean, it can happen to anybody. Like, it happens more, obviously, probably to soldiers, first responders, people who deal with stuff. But I've heard of people who are, like, just ordinary Joes who are in, like, say, an earthquake or some massive, some insane events. event and would have similar symptoms. Yeah. Your brain got rewired, mm -hmm. and you need to... Somehow you need to change the wiring because that stupid little whatever it's called <laughs> in there is where the nightmares go and should never come back out again. Yeah. yeah. That, and you, that's my humble opinion. <laughs> thank you very much for that. Yeah. And, and when you're doing the program, um, just, I don't know, we're not, we're not giving too much away or whatever, but there is a reenactment part in Part of it is is actually you don't reenact the event; you, you change it. Well, you, you do, but it ends. Uh, it ends kind of like the way you want it to end, or the the way. I don't know. You can you can probably elaborate on this, but it ends different. Uh, I think. I'm not sure. Contact unload. I think. I don't think they ended different in the in the play, because um, we just watched it. Like it's very fresh in my I, mind. 
the, yeah, they, if if you, how did they do that? They got, they got, they him. got Tim to talk to himself. Yeah. And they got Tim and to, give him yeah. And give him advice. Yeah. Or tell him. I'd have to watch it again. Yeah, I think I think they got yeah. So they got him to talk to himself and the. Somebody else played Tim. Yeah. yeah. Tim got to be Tim's best friend. Yeah. And they they yeah. talked and they 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 just mutually they like forgave each other. Yes. They forgave each other. That's the key thing. Is that then that's the that's the thing that wasn't said because obviously this is a situation where people died. Yeah. So. And nothing could be said. Yeah. Right. And it was the thing that was said was that they forgave each other and that that's the that was the change that. Tim recognizes yeah, and that and that yeah. that is basically what happened in all of the reenactments in my group right. and that there was forgiveness okay. and that was the case with with yours which yeah. you, you had to yeah. you don't need to discuss it but just some, something no. that that no. happened to you in the in the bush war right um, and a lot had happened to you right and you, you so yeah, it, you know, in yeah, in my case, it was uh, I got to tell myself that I was I was the right uh, the right person to be there. Mm -hmm. That no one else could have done a better job. In fact, I probably did better than anyone else would have. That's a hell of a conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it, it's a great program. It's not well known in the military. Um, it uh, serving members can absolutely anonymously RCMP uh, with if they not, don't have RCMP if they don't it's have available a, yeah. but not. Yeah, there has to be an empty seat that there is not a military veteran or first responder. Yeah. Uh, this is Canada uh, only, by the way, but if they're a U.S. veteran or even a British veteran in Canada, yes. they, they have total access yeah, to it. Yeah. Right. yeah, I know. Of, I mean, I'm a Canadian that served in Rhodesia. Yeah. Uh, I know of a Rhodesian Rhodesian that has done the course. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, there's uh, British, you know, there's other Commonwealth uh, guys that uh, have been on, been on the course here as well. Uh, I, I think you just have to be living in Canada to, and thinking you might, this might be something that. Yeah, would be good for you to, and uh, and they'll look at you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. So again, that the program Veteran Transition Network. Yeah, Veterans Transition. That, Network. Name that play. So and it's all across Canada. Now. That's right. It was yeah. first started. It was only in BC. When totally I free did, too. Totally free. All across Canada, travel is covered by them. So. Um, yeah, obviously, if they're running it, if they're doing a, a a program in 
in Winnipeg, uh, obviously that they would prefer local people. Yeah. But I have heard, you know, there are, I have heard that if they still have a, a seat empty, yeah, in a Winnipeg program, that they will they will you know probably grab somebody from Calgary that's right. raining and <clears throat> slot them in. And just just to use some calf language here for anybody that's either a veteran of the Canadian Armed Forces or actively serving, whether you know, regular force or primary reserve. This is not a coffee course. This is a you. You kind of have to think of this almost as a cock course, as the, as the term goes. Um, it, it was a hard course for you. There was homework. There was, yep. There was, yep. yep. Well, not only was there like stuff you had to do. It's like in a group and, and assignments. Well, and the, stuff. the beauty of it is there's what we call Paris, para, right. paramedic type. Yeah. They're they're. they're vets that have taken the course right. that are part of it yeah. okay mm-hmm. they're not the clinicians they're not they're not yeah. the yeah. pencil heads that are running it yeah but they're they're there to help you yeah you know when when you're asked to do something you look at this guy over here that yeah. has taken the course already and you go, what? What does he want me to do? And the guy says, just do it. It works. Yeah. Okay. There's that kind of trust that there's guys there that, that have done the course that are the, exactly the same as you. Yeah. Yeah. That. So that yeah, don't, don't that, expect. That are good. Yeah. You know, they, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're willing to say, trust, yeah, yeah, trust yeah, this trust pencil this head. I know. You've not had any good luck with pencil heads up till now, yeah. <laughs> but this pencil head knows what he's doing. Yeah. So, so this uh, isn't a yeah. This is and there's, there's it's some, vet. There's it's basically vet helping vets. Yeah. Speaking your language too. Yes. It's, it's not. It's not like this is all. Again, it's it's not a. And there's no dick measuring. It's. Yeah. Uh, I mean that. We actually had a whiteboard and we wrote all the things that we w- this was not going to be, and that was like right at the top yeah. of the list. Yeah, no, no ego <laughs> flexes or anything like that. Just yeah. yeah, this is just a course, and it's the just like any course in your time in Rhodesia or BSAP. Yeah. It's just like you have you have your you have your classes, you have the objectives at the end of each class, or I don't know that. that P-O, yeah, P-O the, yeah the course outline is right. really you, you know exactly yeah. what is at the at the end of the day you, this is what you will know that you didn't and be able to do that you weren't be able to, you weren't yeah. able to know or do at the start of the day okay so, it was very clear what you were going to achieve yeah. that day so and, yeah this uh, is a this is a good course and it it, it helped you a lot yeah um Opened you up to a lot more, and uh, we're we're honored for for this opportunity. And I'd like to thank you again and, for letting this happen. And like I said, the the guys I was on course with, we're a fire team. We know we look we we buddy check. Everybody's still healthy. And yeah, and they're all still healthy. I'm going on mm-hmm. ten years now, almost almost a decade. Yeah. So yeah. that's good. So with that, really recommend it, and yeah, sell buy lots of posters. All the money's yeah, going to that. Yeah. It's what I was just about to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's where the money's going to. So 
we've decided basically 75%, actually I think it's like 80% if I was really to run, yeah, like 85% of the profits if we're to yeah, factor yeah. in the shipping costs and stuff. So like 80, 85% of the profits are going to be going directly to Veteran Transitions Network right. here in Canada. And the, and, and the other percentage was what it cost Basically. to actually yeah. do this. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, so... Um, yeah. Yeah. Basically, all the funds, and uh, they're they're going to be going directly to that, um, on behalf of you, and mm-hmm. and a little little tiny bit of effort on our part uh, coming yeah. up here. But if, yeah, everybody watch Contact Unload. Yes. Awesome. Yes. We we'll have the link. So if, yeah. if you, um, I I didn't see it live when it first ran in Vancouver, but I've been I saw it live in Toronto right. uh, a few years ago when I was living. So uh, living, living in the area, and of course the guest honor at, at the showing in Ottawa Don was uh, Don Cherry. Oh, Don Cherry! Even. <laughs> That's even better. Yeah. That's even better than Prince Harry. Yeah. I wonder why. Because yeah. I know yeah. Prince and Harry they, gets and it. Yeah, they took it to London as well. They yeah, played in London. I think Don Cherry's cooler. I do too. So yeah, uh, so the link below will have, or sorry, the, the description below on this podcast. If you are listening on the Men Among Men Stories podcast, or maybe even on Commando Blog, uh, we'll have a link to Contact Unload. Yes. It's about 38-minute play. should watch that to get a little bit of context about VTN, because it really just explains the, the mindset of the program. We'll also have a link to the posters. No. Yes. No, oh, yeah. Uh, the Contact Unload that you have the link to is there... Anything at the beginning of that explaining? Yes. Explaining yes. the pro- yes. some of the clinicians are talking about how it was yeah. the yes. program one was the developed. Yeah, one of the clinicians is yeah. talking yeah. about it. So it's not just like the play with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it has some good. intro and some outro music, and it's it's the whole the whole thing. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah. Um, also, the uh, so we got the poster. We got the play. We got a link to VTN. Also, that'll be in the product. Mm. Or I keep saying product because. Why don't you end us off? I can't. I can't think outside. I'm thinking about the posters right now. Yeah, well, um, I got to deal with all the logistics. You got to deal with the fun part of uh, the fun. Any, yes, designing the website. Lots of fun. Anyway, right. but yes. So, anyway, uh, the only way I can really end this is by thank you, Larry, so much for coming back on and talking okay. about. We know these are this is a sensitive topic for anybody. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, but we think it's really important and just. Thanks a million for coming on yeah. and sharing your your story with us. Thank you for thank you for doing this, and uh, I'm sure it'll go along with VTM. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. If you want more details, read the description. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Larry. Thanks okay. again, man. Thank you, very Larry. Thank you. Thank you, very Larry. Thank Thank you very much, Larry. There you go. <laughs> with that, Larry has left the building. Or rather, we have left the building. We've <laughs> left the city. We've left the city. Thank God. Yes. Edmonton sucks. No offense to Edmontonians. Yeah, no offense to Larry, but Edmonton Not sucks. our favorite city. But we do enjoy always seeing Larry whenever we're up there. Absolutely. So, as we discussed throughout this podcast, there is a poster print now available at fireforceventures.com exclusively there we might move it to the men among men stories shop later in the future we're still in the process of setting that all up but if you want to get that poster print that we have discussed with this poem signed by larry uh the kind of limited edition 
Most of the funds going to the Veteran Transitions Network. You can find that right now at www.fireforceventures.com. That's my personal website, and that's my personal plug. You may also be listening to this podcast on commandoblog.com, our good friends there. If you don't know who they are, they're an excellent guns and gun lifestyle, quote-unquote K-Commando lifestyle website. I do consider checking them out. If you're listening to us on Spotify, Apple Music, where else? Google uh, Podcasts. Google Podcasts. A few others whose few names I'd have to look up. We're everywhere. We're everywhere now. Wherever you are, yeah. greetings. And if you aren't, do check us out on those platforms because it makes it a little easier to listen to us. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about military history and do stuff like this. Also, do please consider supporting us on Subscribestar. Indeed. All of your money goes to improving this podcast, making it better, making it that we can have on more guests and buy more books for us to read and review on for you guys, and I've, for better audio-visual equipment. Well, mainly just audio. Yeah. Buy Bindu some coffee. Maybe we can afford an actual editor that's not Bindu. No offense. <laughs> he does an okay job sometimes. So, speaking of... Hearing us ramble, do consider supporting us on our Subscribestar. That's www.subscribestar.com slash fireforceventures. You can also find it on our website, menamongmenstories.com. Under the Support Us tab, there should be a link there as well. And I think we have a link tree now, don't we, on Instagram? We do have a link, link tree. tree. So our link tree is our Instagram bio. So there's a lot of methods. There's a lot of ways, more than one way to skin a cat and uh, supporting us financially. So if you're interested in doing that, $1 definitely goes a long way. Even though we do like our Turbo Chads donating like $100 a month or whatever it is. Yes, yeah. You too can be a Turbo Chad. What are the tiers, by the way? They're, they're troopy. Uh, tip jar. Tip jar is $1. Tolverish. Tolverish is 10 5 I think it's 5 Yeah. yeah I think it's 5 Um right. Troopy. Or sorry, no, no. Tommy first. Then no, there's No, there's no Tommy anymore. There is just Tommy, goes, actually. There's like, but no, that's no, no, that's no, a no, 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 no. Tommy is both the deleted tier and the new tier. Ah, okay, I understand now. So there is a Tommy. There's there a Troopy, a, a Troopy, and a Turbo Chat. And a Turbo Chat. So that's all just different tiers, and you get different things. And we'll we'll be doing patches and other cool things and stickers in the near future. So if you want to get in at the ground level, now's your opportunity. MenAmongMenStories.com. And find us on Subscribestar at subscribestar.com slash menamongmenstories. Troopy also gets you into the exclusive... Troopy or higher tier also gets you into the exclusive Fire Force Ventures Buyers Club, where you can talk to us and watch movies with us and do all kinds of fun things behind the scenes. You also get a 5% discount on my website, fireforceventures.com. So you get get 5 bucks off that... Mm -hmm. uh, or not five bucks, five percent off that uh, post of print so as well. So if you kind of want to become part of, I guess, the PR team, you can PR <laughs> the team. community outreach team. I don't know what to call our uh, buyers the, club. It's the buyers club. A team. Our A team. Yeah. If you want to join the A team, yeah, uh, come join us. And Hank, do you have any final thoughts? So special thanks to Larry again for letting us chat with him about his wartime experiences. But you know, particularly in reference to this subject, it wasn't super easy to talk about it never is so it's always an honor we should chat with them and a special thanks to the veteran transitions network for what they are doing for veterans and um, active duty 
military, first responders, law enforcement. And to all those that continue to serve or have served in the past, many thanks for doing what you did for the winning team and allowing us to do what we do. Many thanks to you guys. And yeah, I just want to put in a note, uh, mental health is very important and doubly so for soldiers, first responders and law enforcement. But, you know, we've all known people, uh, even in civilian life, who, you know, have uh, gone through rough times and just, you know, take good care of yourself out there, guys. So pull up, grab a chibouli, and have a great day, guys.